What's happening everybody and welcome to another episode of the I'm Telic TIS Podcast. Your host, your truly, Jai Shields here on this Wednesday, December the 15th, 10 days out from the Christmas holiday of the year 2021. Got lots to do, lots to talk about here on this midweek program. Get to my bangles, uh, or excuse me, my bungles, uh, sleepwalking and disappointing again. I got tons to say about uh, that beleaguered team. Uh, to open up here the program, Week 14 recap, Washington and Dallas will get to. The Jaguars and the Raiders are, are an absolute, complete, just walking joke of uh, of a franchise in their both respective fashions. I'll get to them a little bit later on the program. Get to the Browns beating the Ravens and Lamar Jackson's ankle injury heading into the Packer game coming up this upcoming Sunday. Get to the Buffalo Bills and, I, and why I'm concerned about them and their overtime loss to the New England. Patriots, or excuse me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday on the road in overtime. Uh, get the hell, get the Bears the hell off my TV for the nine millionth time. And again, we will once again call for uh, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace to be uh, unemployed. I could give a damn if it's ten days out of Christmas holiday; they will not starve. Uh, and we will also get to the Rams getting back on track with a much needed victory against division rival Arizona on the road on Monday Night Football. A few nights ago and we'll get to Steph Curry who now holds the all-time NBA record for most three-point shots made and we will give Steph Curry his uh, flowers as the program uh, proceeds along but first things first is my Cincinnati Bengals or excuse me my Cincinnati Bungles. My Cincinnati Bungles disappoint again ladies and gentlemen and I, I, I wish I could say I was surprised but I'm not the bungles are back. The bungles are back and in full effect. The bungles never fail to disappoint. You know, Stephen A. Smith goes on television and ever since, what is, how long has he been doing first takes since like 2011, 2011-ish? So the last 10 years with Skip Bayless, Kellerman for about four or five years, and then the rotating door of guest debaters that he's brought in essentially since September. Here's here's what I here you know he he gives the Dallas Cowboys the title of a team that is you know what when it count you know when it counts like he's in that little remix song when it counts just wait they will let you down there an accident waiting to happen. Stephen A. needs to give that title and give that mantra to the Cincinnati Bengals. Because no matter the year, no matter the, 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 the coaching staff, no matter the head coach, no matter the quarterback, no matter the teammates and the players that make up the 53-man roster, and the player and the 11 guys that start on the defense, offense, and special team sides of the football. No matter the year, no matter the decade, it could be the 2000s, the 2010s, or the 2020s, it does not matter. When it, when it counts and when the rubber meets the road for this franchise to prove themselves worthy, to go out there and play like they're worth their salt, especially when they are playing in 
meaningful December regular season football games and or playoff games, they never fail to let you down. They never fail. This team is allergic to prosperity. When it counts, just wait. They will let you down. An accident waiting to happen. That is my Cincinnati Bungles. Because they have earned the Bungles title, ladies and gentlemen. They have earned that title back. And I told you guys after, what game was that? And I told you guys after the Brown game that the season was over. I told you guys, season's over, not making the playoffs. It's fun while it lasted. Bungles are back, not making the playoffs. Season's over. Want to put me otherwise, go out there and go on a five-game win streak. They beat the Raiders. They stomped the living hell out of the Steelers. What happens? They play the Chargers. They get their doors blown up. They had a nice little comeback, nice little cute old comeback. But all it took was a Joe Mixon fumble and all the air let out of the team. And next thing you know, it was 41-22. San Francisco got caught sleepwalking again through three quarters. Down to, down 20 to 3. 20 to 3. 20 to 6. Really? The problem with this team is that they sleepwalk through these games way too damn much. They sleepwalk. They sleepwalk through these games. You saw it in the Charger game. You saw it. You saw it in the Charger game. You saw it in the Jet game. You saw it in the San Francisco game on Sunday. This team sleepwalks through games like it's nobody's business. They sleepwalk through. They, they sleepwalk through a quarter, a half, or three quarters, and then all of a sudden, you know, around the time fourth quarter starts to come around, then all of a sudden the, the switch goes on, and the whole team, you know, wakes up from their from their sleepwalking slumber, and it's like, oh, holy crap, we're in a football game now. We we actually have a chance to win this game. Then you you know, let's 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 turn on that proverbial switch, and next and next thing you know, next thing you know, you blink, and the Bengals are like, oh, holy crap, they're gonna actually pull this one off and and win this game. Same thing same thing happened on Sunday. They they slept the walk through three quarters, twenty to six, and all of a sudden, you know, they get a couple of breaks, and then here comes and it here comes Joe Burrow late in the fourth quarter, you know, finding Jamar Chase who somehow someway kept himself in bounds from uh, and avoiding a illegal touching penalty, but all of a sudden here comes Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase. And then all of a sudden, the Bengals are right back in the game. When you're a playoff contending team, you can't play that way. You can't. Is it great to get... And, and here's the other thing, too, that you also got to put into perspective. Don't sit up here and tell me, well, it was great. They fought back. They showed some effort. They made it close at the end. They tied them and forced the game into over. I don't want to hear that crap. Because, for one... What 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 is the what is what good what good and what significance is a comeback if you don't finish it off by winning the game? You know, in Super Bowl Fifty One, if if Brady and the Patriots f from twenty eight three down come all the way to, to to come all the way to bring the Patriots within a touchdown, and they don't 
and they don't get that one more stop that and score that one more touchdown and tie the game up and send it overtime. And let's say the Falcons, you know, score a touchdown or they get another pick six off for of Brady during the sequence of the fourth quarter to put the game away. What good is the 28-3 comeback if A, they don't tie it, and B, they don't finish it off by winning the game? If if and I'm just using it as an example, if the Patriots don't win Super Bowl 51 and don't finish the deal and win that game in overtime, the 20 the 28 to 3 comeback means nothing. Means nothing. If 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 the Patriots don't win that game and they and they fall short 28-25 or fall short 28-24 or 20 or 28-27 something like that, you know, they miss a two-point conversion, extra means nothing. So don't sit up here and get and sit up here and tell me, well, they fought back, they showed effort, did it, did it, did it, means nothing. Okay, they came back, they came back against the Chargers last week, within two points, big whoop. They still lost the game. They came back to tie the game up against San Francisco, sent in overtime, big whoop. They still lost the game. So I also don't want to hear, well, they came back. Listen, when you and I and I understand. I understand and I get it. Two years ago, bungling for Burrow, top five, trying to get the number one overall draft pick. We were winless, if not had one win at that point in time, you know, in December of 2019. I get that. I get it. Last year, the season was lost. Burrow had a, had a, had a torn ACL. I get that. In the grand scheme of things, the fact we have seven wins on December 15th is a positive thing. Considering where we were a short two years ago. I get it. But both can also be true. It can also be a huge step in the right direction for us having seven wins and playing meaningful football in mid-December. That can also be true along with the fact that the fact along with if you're playing December football, meaningful December football, and you currently hold or are or you put yourself in a position to hold a playoff spot, that you gotta deliver the goods and you gotta and you gotta be ready for prime time and show up. And the Bengals have not done that. They have not done that. They have flat out not done that. The Ravens lost to they got the biggest break of if Lamar Jackson does not get hurt in the Cleveland game the Ravens don't lose that game and they nearly won it we'll get that later on in the program but they nearly won it without Lamar Jackson if they have Lamar Jackson the Ravens win that game in my opinion outright the way the the way the Evan Florida game was going the Ravens going to win that game just because they had the best player on the field and Lamar Jackson and the Browns didn't and the and the Browns don't. Ravens were probably gonna win that game if Lamar had not gotten hurt. So got the biggest break of all time with the with their game being after the Ravens game in the 425 slot, on top of the fact that the Ravens lost, on top of the fact that Lamar has an ankle injury which could affect them. For next week's game against Baltimore on the 26th, 11 days after, eleven days away at the time of this recording. So, they got some breaks. It, was, it started going their way for them a little bit. 
The Steelers lost. You don't have to worry about them. The Steelers lost to the Vikings the Thursday before. Things were going their way. And yet, for whatever the reason, the Bengals come out flat as a pancake. Come out flat as a pancake. Mistakes. Receivers dropping open passes. You know, can't run the football worth anything. Zach Taylor's out the lunch with his stupid play calling decisions. I mean, it 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 it, 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 it was disgraceful. Their performance on on Sunday afternoon, disgraceful. And can, who? I I swear to good Lord. Can for the love of God, can Darius Phillips be cut? I I I beg of you. Can he be cut? Because I'm trying to tell you something right now. He if it was my team, he if it was my team that he was muffing all those punts on. He would have been cut, and I am not ex- I am not exercising hyperbole when I say this. If he if if Darius Phillips stunk up the joint as bad as he did on Sunday on my football team, he would have been on the unemployment line on waivers by halftime. He would have been cut. And I went into his locker room, asked him for his shoulder pads and his helmet, and told him to get the hell out of the damn stadium. You're on waivers as of now. Because his performance on Sunday was an absolute travesty. It was disgusting. It was despicable. It was disgraceful. Catch the football. You got one job. And that is catch the football on punt and kick returns. Catch it. All you got to do, catch it. If he was on my team, he would have been cut by halftime. And if I was Taylor, I would have cut him after the game was over. He should be a free agent, unemployed, on waivers right now. Period. You got one job, Darius, and that is to catch the football. What does he do? Hey, top balls kicked to him. Oh, he's got, he drops it. He, you know, he, uh, there's no win. He somehow misplays the ball and hits, uh, and hits off his chest. Live ball. 49 cigar before that. And he catches the freaking ball where you plays. What a disgrace. And another thing about this team. You know, if they don't score 30, if they don't score 30 points, they don't win. I hate to say it, and I hate it that they're one of those teams, but if they don't score 30 points in a game, they do not win. They don't. Don't believe me? When do you think was the last time the Bengals won a game 
scoring less than 30 points. Just, 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 just take a wild guess. You want your answer? Last time the Bengals won a game scoring less than 30 points, you have to go all the way back to week four. Week four. September 30th, when they beat Jacksonville 24-21. And games since where they've scored less than 30 points, week after, against Green Bay, they scored 22 lost. They played Cleveland, scored 16, lost. They played the Chargers, scored 22, lost. Played San Francisco, scored 23, and lost. The only exception was the Jet game in which they scored 31 and lost. But outside of the Jet game, the Bengals are essentially perfect when they score 30 or more points in a game, with the Jet game being the one outlier. And I hate to say that about this team, but, but they have become that. Where if they don't score 30 points, they straight up can't find a way to win games. They just don't. They can't. They're inept at doing so. And Zach Taylor... Good, gracious, a lie. Sunday night, I swear, I swear. Sunday night, I did not know what to do with myself. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't. I did not know what to do with myself. I didn't. Can you please explain to me how when the Bengals drove into 49er territory in the overtime after the 20 after the 23-yard completion of CJ Uzama on the second and 10 can somebody please explain to me please explain to me why the Bengals came out twice in back-to-back plays running the football with a with a under the weather Joe Mixon who did who had a and it's and again no disrespect to Joe Mixon I love Joe Mixon Joe Mixon is one of my favorite players in all of football and he's second in the NFL right now in rushing yards did you know that Joe Mixon healthy is one of the best backs in football so this so don't get it twisted this is no way under any sense of circumstances a a, a dig or a knock towards Joe Mixon this isn't a knock, but in sports, you have great games, you have bad games, and you have games where you're, where you're kind of mad, where you're kind of in between, where you don't stink up the joint, but you don't necessarily have, have a great game that you're going to walk off the field and necessarily be proud of either. Joe Mixon had that in between. 18 carries, 58 yards on the afternoon. Yet here's Zach Taylor taking the ball out of out of Burroughs' hands and giving it to Mixon, who barely practiced the week before because he was sick with a cold. They attempted one pass play on third down that was predictable as all hell. Why do you think Joe Burrow got sacked? 
And here's the bottom line about Zach Taylor. He is 4-17-1 in one-score games in his NFL head coaching career. This year, he's 2-4. He's lost to the Bears, Jets, 49ers, Packers in those games. I mean, when what, and why did Taylor call this game so conservatively? They, the Bengals punted from the San Francisco 46-yard line. They kicked the field goal on the fourth and one at San Francisco's 19. They punted from their own 47. They kicked the field goal on fourth and two from the San Francisco 49-yard line. And then there was an opening coming out of the opening drive out of halftime. They got the ball to start the second half, and it's run, 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 punt. You, mu you must be kidding me. Listen, I understand that you don't want to be that you don't want to become a football team where Joe Burrow has to throw a ball 35, 40 times in order for you to win games. I understand you want to be a balanced offense and take a little bit of the pressure off of the off, off of the young quarterback who was dealing with the dislocated pinky from the week before. But for the love of all that is holy, uh, Zach Taylor, would they kill you to open up the playbook and allow Joe Burrow to throw the ball downfield once in its life? My goodness gracious! Run, 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 punt. Coming out of the half! Halftime deficit was 17-6. You need points. The hell are you running the football for? Open it up! 49ers were running on, they there's the lack of depth within their secondary was so freaking thin. They literally were obligated to run cover two the entire freaking game. Why? Because they needed their safeties to protect their razor thin and inexperienced cornerbacks. That's why. And according to Zach Taylor in the postgame, there apparently is only one solution to beating cover two defenses, and that's running the football up against that dominant 49er front four and attacking their best linebacker and front corner, apparently. 49ers left the left the left left the sidelines outside the numbers wide freaking open damn near the entire game. And the Bengals barely took advantage of it. Because Zach Ted wants to give Joe Mixon a football 20 times. For him to run into the arms of, of Fred Warner and Nick Bosa. You gotta be kidding me. Now, that, that, what are we doing? What are we doing? You are pathetic, Zach Taylor. Pathetic. Pathetic. And here's the bottom line. Joe Burrow went like two of two, 50 passing yards in the overtime. The Bengals Literally had all the momentum. Why? 
because Joe Burrow is that dude. He has that Joe Montana, Tom Brady-like quality of saying, gosh damn it, give me the ball in my hands. You go get on my back, and I, come out of high water, will bring you guys down the field and win us this football game. Because that's the type of quarterback that he is. At 25 years old, mind you. What's that tell you? Take the ball in his hands, get the ball to Joe Mixon. I mean, you got to be freaking kidding me. He should have took the ball out of his hands. For what reason? And Joe can't say anything. He's a kid. He hasn't earned the right to basically tell his coach, shut the hell up, I'm throwing the football air. He hasn't earned that right yet. He hasn't earned it. At this point, he will in due time. But as of right now, he hasn't earned it yet. But my God, Zach, read the room, read the situation, read the ebb and flow of the game, pay attention to the defenses that the 49ers are running, and take advantage of the fact that they were razor thin on cornerbacks. God, you know how to, you don't know how to be a cover two defense. I can find 13 year olds in Madden that know how to be a cover two defense better than you did on Sunday. Because you stunk. You spit the bit. You vomited all over yourself. And here's another thing. Kyle Shanahan, who drafted Trey Lance in this past year's NFL draft, who he believes is, is, the, is going to be the quarterback that's going to take the 49ers to the next level. He was more comfortable with Jimmy G, a guy who he plans to to replace in the near future. Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, was more comfortable with a quarterback who he who he drafted his replacement six months ago, no, eight months ago. was more comfortable with letting Jimmy G throw the ball in the red zone, a quarterback who he plans to replace within the next few years, than Zach Taylor was with his first overall pick in Joe Burrow, who is the future of the Cincinnati Bengals long term. Think about that. Kyle Shanahan was more comfortable throwing the ball in the red zone with Jimmy G a quarterback who he plans to replace within the next two, three years than Zach Taylor was in his first overall pick in Joe Burrow. That is all you need to freaking know. It's embarrassing. How about Zach Taylor, you know, put his foot up some of these guys' high parts and say, hey, we're not going to be sleepwalking through the first three quarters of these games. We're not going to be dropping passes left and right. 
Darius Phipps is going to know how to catch a damn football on punt return. How about Zach Tedder? Get a little angry. Get a little pissed off. Instead of this conservative play calling and, and, this, and, this, and this twilight zone type play that I've been looking at for the last two weeks because it stinks. And then his team wonders why, you know, half of Paul Brown Stadium was empty on Sunday. Because nobody wants to watch this. More victories are fine and dandy in September and October where you're playing meaningful December football and you are currently hold a playoff spot and you have an opportunity to go in first place at the AFC North. You finish the deal and you finish what you have started. Period. I could give a crap about more victories. I'm not interested. Win the damn games. It's ridiculous. No excuses. And the idea that Zach Taylor set up, sat up there in a post-game press conference and had the nerve, the temerity, the audacity, the chutzpah, and the unmitigated goal to sit up here and say, hey, nobody wants to play us. What? What? You, you must, you must be kidding me. What are you smoking, Zach Taylor? Nobody wants to play us. You got ambushed on the road by the Bears and the Jets. Two of the worst teams, worst teams, worst teams in the National Football League this year. You got ambushed on the road against them both. And you got pimp slapped by the Chargers and the 49ers in the first three quarters of back-to-back -back games. Nobody wants to play us. What are you smoking? The Pittsburgh Steelers might not want to play us. The Baltimore Ravens might not want to play us. The one-win Detroit Lions might not want to play us. The Minnesota Vikings might not want to play us. The Vegas Raiders might not want to play us. But I tell you who do wants to play us. Uh, you, Zach, for you. The Green Bay Packers. The Los Angeles Chargers. San Francisco 49ers. The New York Jets. The Chicago Bears. The Kansas City Chiefs. And the Cleveland Browns. That's who. I mean... <laughs> The, the cockiness and just the the, 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 the the state of being just so freaking tone deaf. Nobody wants to play us. What is what is wrong with you? You're seven and six. If the play if the season ended today, you would be out of the playoffs. And for the love of God, can somebody find a way to cover George Kittle? 13 receptions, 151 yards, and a touchdown catch. Look like the white clock for crying out loud. 
Can somebody find a way to color George Kettle? Please. And Zach sits up there and says, insults everybody's intelligence. And then the post game sits up there and says, well, well, we did everything we could to cover George Kittle. Bullcrap. No, you didn't. Because every single time I, I looked at it, he was, run, he was running drag routes and seams up the, up the hash marks. And he was being covered by quarterbacks and safeties that, 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 that George Kittle was twice in size compared to. Every single time I turned out he was getting covered by quarterbacks and safeties. That's half George Kittle's size. We tried everything, my ass. If you can't find a way to stop George Kittle in your own building on Sunday, then what the hell makes me think you're going to find any answers to stopping Mahomes and Travis Kelsey when they come into your building on the second of the new year? This team is a joke. Don't ask me if they're going to the playoffs. They're not. They're dead. They're done. They're finished. Season is over. Don't sit up here and tell me about the, about well, the Ravens because Lamar Jackson and our di- garbage. I don't want to hear that. Because the bang, because the Ravens have a better coach. The Ravens have a head coach in John Harbaugh that knows and ha- and reads the game and knows when to take the game by the balls and say, I'll be damned if I'm going to walk out of here with a clock of triple zeros and I'm going to be on the losing end of this football game. The Ravens know how to finish. The Ravens know how to finish comebacks. The Ravens know when to put the stake, put the knife through their opponents. The Ravens know how to, how to give their opponents the coup de grace dagger. The Ravens know how to finish. The Ravens show up in prime time. The Ravens show up when the when the lights shine the brightest. The Cincinnati Bengals and Zach Taylor do not. I don't care if the whole freaking 53-man roster is on IR. It comes down to coaching. We can't always win games based on high-end talent. And, and, and afford to sleepwalk through three quarters. And all of a sudden, turn it on in the fourth because you, because you realize the crap has hit the fan, and you better buckle down and get yourself together so you can save so you can save your hide and see if you can steal a victory out of the jaws of defeat. They're done. The Bengals are back. The season's over. This team is dead. DOA dead on arrival. They're done. They're finished. They're making the playoffs. Disappointing unto the season, and Zach Taylor, once again, I am going to call for him to be fired because he has no freaking clue. Back after this.
That's the bottom line with the Bengals. A little less conversation, a little more action. You know, they can sit and say all the right things. All we're right there. All we control our own destiny. We got to rally. Bottom line, no Bengals, no long-suffering Bengals fan who's been a Bengals fan for a good amount of time. No one wants to hear all that. You know, they can't. And it's not. And it's not really anything against the players that make up this team themselves. It's more or less. It's more or less the, the historical significance of the Bengals coming up small. You know, in, in in big moments, this is more of a this is more of a vendetta against the against the franchise and the historical pain that it's caused its fan base, rather than the rather than the exact uh, players that make up the twenty twenty one Bengal squad. And at the bottom, and, and I mean, and I know Sam Hubbard means well, but you gotta understand, no Bengals fan wants to hear it right now. No Bengals fan wants to sit in here. All we gotta do is ride together. We control our own destiny. Right. Nobody wants to hear all that. The bottom line. The bottom line is, you guys are seven and six. You are two and four since your five and two start. You know when you beat the crap out of the Ravens at that point in time. You currently held the number one seed in the AFC back in late October. Nobody wants to hear all that. The bottom line is, the yeah, you do control your own destiny. You know how you do it. You beat the hell out of the Broncos. You upset. You upset the uh, or not? Well, you. Well, not necessarily upset the Ravens, but they beat the hell out of the Broncos. You sweep the season series from the Ravens. You get in first place to AFC North. You punch the Chiefs in the mouth. And you go out there and and beat the Cle- and beat the Cleveland Browns the final game of the season on the road. That's how you change the tide. You want you want to change the tide, Cincy? Here's what you do. You go let you go eleven and six. You run the table from here on out. You want to prove me wrong and, and make me happily eat crow? This is how you do it. You go out there. You you beat you beat Denver on the road. Uh, beat the Ravens and beat the Chiefs in your own building back to back weeks. And you go back on the road. Last game of the season. Don't leave the state of Ohio. And you go out there and you get revenge against Cleveland. Nobody wants to sit up here and sit up here and listen to well we're right there with this or that. Nobody wants to hear it. And quite frankly, nobody cares. Let's go out there, shut up, and just win the games, please. And, and, and Sam, tell your head coach that uh, you know when when the San Francisco 49ers secondary is 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 paper thin at uh, at cornerback the whole game to the point where they're forced to play cover two the entire afternoon to protect uh, to protect getting beat over the middle or over the top of the deep ball. Tell Zach Taylor to uh, tell Zach Taylor to open up the playbook a little bit, put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands, and and let him complete some passes down the field to his receivers. And I'd give Joe Mixon the ball damn near uh, twenty times for him to. For for him, to, for him not to even rack up 75 rushing yards. Anyway, I, that 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 game that game that game's uh, uh, Saturday bothered me, or excuse me, Sunday it bothered me. It did. did. Uh, it's uh, they. It, uh, it, ugh, God, oh my. I understand. I understand. We're still a game above 500 and not out of. Uh, it's just when you're a Bengals fan. Your philosophy and your psyche is a little different than than uh, than someone who's a non-Bengals fan or someone who's you know on the outside looking in. It's it's just it's a little different than when you've been a fan of this team as long as I've been a fan of them and have experienced many of late season uh, many of late season collapses and many a letdown and many a heartbreak in big spots. It's just it's just the way it is. Um, and and always that that's going to change if this team goes out there and proves that they're a different team, and that's winning the rest of the games from here on out to to end the season, 
and making the playoffs, winning a playoff game, and go from there. Um, but anyway, as far as the rest of the NFL is concerned in Week 14, Washington straight up got punked on Sunday, and I hate to, and I hate to use such a strong use such a strong word when it comes to their performance on Sunday, but they did. They they stay straight. They they let the Dallas Cowboys, who talked so much crap the week leading up to this game last Sunday, who talked so much crap about Washington, who said and, and allowed Mike McCarthy to sit up there in a press conference in front of the media and sit there and, and say, among other things, I, I am guaranteeing we are going to win this football game. Guaranteeing that the Dallas Cowboys are going to win, which A, I don't like because the head coach puts, uh, the head coach puts his own team in a very tri- tricky and difficult spot. He backs them into a corner. You know, the coach has to prepare and the coach has to do their job, but the coaches don't play. The players have to play and the players have to, uh, you know, pay the piper after the coach has, you know, heard the tune. So I, I I do not like that coaches going out there and speaking from their team and getting cocky and getting all high and mighty, especially you know if they can game plan and call plays and manage the game clock and manage the game as best they possibly can. But when it's all but at the bottom line, it all comes down to the players. So I don't like it when coaches do that. And Mike McCarthy did it heading into the what uh, heading into the Washington game. But the bottom line is. Dallas Cowboys talked the talk and they walked the walk. Mike McCarthy talked all that crap and Dallas, especially their defense, which has done an absolutely phenomenal. What a job Dan Quinn has done uh, turning over and, uh, and and complete one a with that Dallas Cowboy defense, which was absolutely offensive to the senses in 2020. What a phenomenal turnaround they have they've had. Uh, you know, Micah Parsons, the best the the best defensive player in all of football this season. A clear runaway for Defensive Player of the Year, without question, without an argument. A fantastic playmaker he is. Dallas scored. Dallas got a scoop and score defensive touchdown in the early stages of the game. Took an eighteen to nothing lead at the end of the first quarter. Uh, by the time it was halftime, it was twenty. It was uh, what twenty three. Uh, 23 nothing Dallas. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys just absolutely took it to Washington right out of the gate to be 24 to nothing. I, I apologize, but just absolutely beat the living hell out of Dallas for the first uh, 30 minute for the first 30 minutes of play, and then you know Taylor Heineke, you know Taylor Heineke, who had an absolutely horrendous. Game. He did get banged up. All things being fair, he got and all things being equal, did get banged up. But he did not have a great game under any circumstances. Was absolutely abysmal. He made a couple of plays. Ran for, I believe he ran for. I think he, I think he made it in going off of my memory top of my head. Ran in for the touchdown to bring uh, Dallas within uh, within two scores. But so we, and we already know about Taylor Heineke. He's a gamer. He's a fighter. He's, you know, he's going. He's not going to. He's going to go down swinging. It doesn't matter, you know, how ugly his stat line is. He's going to go down swinging. He's not going to be an easy out, which is one of the reasons why I love him so much as a quarterback, especially for this Washington team. But, uh, you know, he he in the grand scheme of things did not play well, 11-25 to through uh, Buck, uh, Buck uh, 22, an interception, one touchdown pass in the game. Got sacked four times again. Phenomenal job by the Dallas Cowboy defense. Uh, we're not able to run the ball tremendously well as a team that only ran for 100 yards. But this game essentially was won on the backs of the Dallas Cowboy defense. I mean, what a phenomenal job they did uh, just shutting down the Washington offensive offense attack. Uh, they forced three fumbles in. They f- uh, forced three fumbles in the game. Four turnovers in general. Washington had just uh, that that game. The game ball t- of uh, that the game ball f- to that game goes to the Dallas Cowboy defense. They f- forced three fumbles. 
uh, got an interception from Taylor Heineke, an absolutely phenomenal job. Then on the Dallas Cowboys side of things, you know, I, I worry about them offensively because that was a game that they was that that game was supposed to be a argue arguably they could have shut them out, but that was a game that Dallas should have won. You know, thirty should have won thirty five twelve or you know thirty five ten. The fact that they allowed Washington to creep back into the game thanks to the Dak Prescott pick six that he threw. Uh, I have no idea what the heck Dak Prescott's thought process was on that second and seven. Totally got duped by the. Uh, totally got duped by. Uh, trying to get the uh, by um, by a Holcom. Totally got duped by him who took it. Who took the play back to the house for thirty-one yards. I have no idea what he saw on that second and seven play late in the late in the fourth quarter. Dak, 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 Dak. Yep, yep. Two scores, man. Just run. Be safe. Play smart football, run the clock out, don't turn over the football. Washington gets a pick six, and all of a sudden it's 27-20, and Washington had a chance to tie the game up later in the later in the uh, later in this fourth quarter. And the first Dak Prescott interception was absolutely abysmal, overthrowing Ceedee Lamb over the middle that went into the arms of Landon Collins, which was a horrendous interception earlier in the first half. I mean, I say, I say, I say it all the time when it comes, especially to the Dallas Cowboys. Especially, you know, it, it's when you, especially when you are playing from ahead. When you're playing from behind, it's a different argument because you got to make up because you got to score, you got to make up, and you got to chase points to a certain degree. So, the, playing from a deficit is something different. But you, you know, Dallas, ne- Dallas never trailed in this game. Dallas never trailed in this game. And the fact, and the fact that Dak Prescott threw the ball thirty-nine times in a game, and and threw the ball thirty-nine times in a game that Dallas never never trailed in, scares me. Scares me. Twenty-two of thirty-nine, two eleven, two interceptions, one touchdown, got sacked four times. That's horrendous football. I'm, Dak Prescott has to play better than that. I mean, he was he was. That's why I said again. This this game the game ball goes to the Dallas Cowboy defense because they're because the Cowboy defense won them this football game. Dak was inaccurate over you know the overthrow on the overthrow Ceedee Lamb for the first inception that he made he made a terrible read on the second and on the second and seven play late in the fourth quarter that brought Washington within a touchdown was just very inaccurate was was horrendous uh, against Washington on Sunday. Very concerned about that going forward, and he's got to play better than that. As a C, you know, Dallas is nine and four, five and two on the road, uh, still sitting in first place in the NFC East. Dak's got to, you know, this is the time of the year where Dak Prescott's supposed to be playing his best football, not his worst. And I understand that their defense is good defense or anything else, but can't can't be going backwards at, at this point in the season. And also, one thing I'm concerned about Dallas is that their run games is non-existent. Zeke, Zeke again is back to doing nothing. No, uh, no Pollard in this game. Their 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 running game also is a tremendous tremendous uh, issue that I have with this Dallas Cowboy team going forward. Um, and then of course you get to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are just an absolute league disgrace. What urban migrating to pissing matches with uh, Marvin Jones, saying that he's essentially better than his assistant coaches, calling his assistant coaches trash. You know, the fiasco that took place back on September the 30th, where instead of flying with his team after they choked the double-digit lead against my Bengals on Thursday Night Football back on the 30th of September, chokes the lead, Evan McPherson kicks the game-winning field goal, 
team, you know, his whole team goes back and flies back to Jacksonville. He stays behind and heads northward to Columbus, Ohio, and all of a sudden gets himself in trouble with getting twerked on by some young co-ed, I guess, in his own bar, in his own restaurant that that he looked like a horse's rear end for, that he had to later apologize for, and that he was uh, mutually, essentially embarrassed. Uh, embarrassed for make for making his appearance, you know, known in that sort of spot in that situation. But the Jacksonville Jaguars are just a league disgrace. Their offense is inept. Their defense not that much better. Trevor Lawrence is not improving. If anything, he's slightly regressing because just because of the of the piss poor job that uh, that um that uh, Art Meyer and his coaching staff has done with Lawrence uh, in his rookie year. It's just. Not, it's not good. He's he's done just an absolutely horrendous job. As a he has to go. You know, I I was not in love with the. I didn't. I I don't. I don't believe. I came right out and said, "Oh, this is a terrible hire. How can you do this?" Blah blah blah. But I but I do. But I wasn't in love with it. And it's one of the reasons why. You know, and, and eventually you're going to hear Urban Meyer pull a you know pull a uh, health issue, something wrong with his health out of his out of his rear end to save his hide. Or you know, or you know, he's gonna you know when when the season's over and people least expect it, you know, think Super Bowl week. No, you know, when everyone's attention is the furthest away from Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars, all of a sudden he drops out of clear blue sky, sends in his resignation, and all of a sudden he's sitting on a big noon kickoff uh, with uh, Brady Quinn, Reggie Bush, and the fellas, uh, you know, for Fox for their college football coverage come fall of 2022. So, you know, so Urban Meyer's just been an absolute joke. The Jaguars are a complete disgrace. The owner is a complete clown, a complete tool, doesn't know which way is up. It, Urban Meyer has to go. You know, his players don't respect him. He's insulting his assistant coaches left and right. On top of the fact that Trevor Lawrence's development is, uh, is being compromised as a, uh, as a result of Urban Meyer's ineptitude at uh, at the head coaching level in the National Football League, Jaguars got to do his best. Shad Khan has to wake up and smell the coffee, pull his head out of the sand, and realize he's going nowhere with Urban Meyer. All he is, is just providing negative publicity for the Jaguar franchise, and he's got he's got to do his best for the team and kick him to the curb and fast. And more importantly, shit, save your first overall uh, quarterback from this past year's draft in uh, in uh, in Trevor Lawrence. That's just the bottom line. The Raiders are also a disgrace, not necessarily because some, not necessarily because of the head coach, but because of the fact that they, but because of the fact they're just one of the dumbest teams in in the National Football League in 2021. I mean, what what who was the idiot, the genius, the 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 the, the scholar, the future Hall of Famer? That thought it was a brilliant idea to go on to midfield at Arrowhead on the Chiefs logo and hold a hype huddle meeting prior to kickoff to get the Chiefs all annoyed and riled up. Who was who was the genius that thought of that? That's that is what I want to know. Who was the genius that thought it was a bright idea to go to the Chiefs to go to the Chiefs logo at midfield? Disrespect it, show them up, and decide that to be the place for them to hold their pregame hype meeting. Who is the genius that thought of that idea? Because I would love to meet them and ask them a whole hell of a lot of questions. 
I mean, you went to a Chief team that a beat the hell out of out of Vegas back last month, back in November, for one thing. To a Chiefs team that is that slowly but slowly and quietly starting to hit its stride as far as getting back to that most feared AFC team, you know, AFC Super Bowl contender, starting to hit their stride a little bit. You know, offense isn't as great as it should be, but they weren't as egregious and as atrocious as they were back in October. Their defense has significantly improved. Give them, give Steve Spagnuolo, who was abysmal for the first two months of the season, all the credit and the award for a, a Chiefs team that's starting to hit its stride. And the Raiders gonna go out there and get the Chiefs and get Mahomes and get Kelsey, who's a fiery, emotional guy. And you know Tyron Matthew, who is also who you know who's who's a who's a tiger because he went to LSU and a lion in his own right. Why, 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 why do that? Why take that risk? Why do something so so stupid and so ignorant? The last thing the Chiefs need is cause and extra motivation. When when a lot of people, including yours truly, rid them off back 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 in the first two months of the season. Why? Why? Beyond them, beyond, and as and 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 it serves the Ra- and it serves the Raiders right for getting destroyed, for getting destroyed like they did, uh, you know, once, one, you know, right from the opening kickoff. Did you know that the Chiefs' thirty-nine point victory was their largest margin of victory in fifteen years? You know, I, 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 you know, I haven't, I haven't rooted for, I haven't rooted for the Chiefs since their Super Bowl fifty, since Super Bowl fifty-four. They won Super Fifty Four, you know, root against them, you know, because you know I'm not necessarily in love with Mahomes and that sort of stuff. Listen, if I, I if I if I if I was a if I was a betting man, I'd have betted so I would have betted so hard and pulled so hard for Kansas City on Sunday. I mean, you, you would first of all a Raiders team that's done nothing, nothing. Within the last 19, going on, tw- it's been it's been almost 20 years since your last appeared in the Super Bowl. You're more known for you're more known for playing on dirt infields. Your stadium your stadium situation being unorganized. Your cheap, ugly, hideous owner. Uh, you know, also with his own issues with the IRS, the the John Gruden fiasco, uh, the Henry Ruggs speeding, you know, while driving under the influence, and more known for your late season collapses than you are known for winning football games and being a championship contending football team. A Raiders team has done absolutely nothing within the last twenty years. Going to go out there and uh, and get and and do that to the Chiefs beyond stupid. I'm t- tell you, if I would, if I, if I would have placed a bet on Kansas City, I'd have been such a Chief fan on on Sunday afternoon. You, you, you know, you'd, you'd mistake me. You'd mistake me for being a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Serves serves the Raiders right that they got beat up and blown out like that. Serves them right. Serves them right. When I when I looked at the final score and saw and saw that and saw that the Chiefs put up damn near fifty up against up against Vegas. I was smiling from ear. From, I was grinning from ear to ear, ear to ear, because it served the Raiders right, serves them right. What a joke! Cleveland Browns and Baltimore Ravens. Cleveland Browns, you know, continue to stay up, stay afloat in the AFC North. Uh, you know, they split. They split the season series with Baltimore. They currently hold the tiebreaker. Uh, they currently hold the tiebreaker over Cincinnati at this point in time. 
uh, you know, they nearly blew the game, but they took care of business. They took care of business and beat Baltimore nevertheless, 24-22. Told you guys last week, very hard to beat a team twice within a two, three week period. Um, so I did not like the Ravens' chances going in. And then once Lamar Jackson went down, I really didn't like their chances after the fact. But then leave it to the Ravens to pull some black magic out of the hat and, 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 and score 13 fourth quarter points to bring themselves within two. Uh, an absolutely horrendous job by the Browns' defense, which collapsed and got laxed in the you know in the fourth quarter. Just an, an unacceptable performance by a Cleveland Browns defense that that you know put on a clinic for the first three quarters of the football game. They got to do a better job of knowing how to close in the fourth, especially against a team against uh, like Baltimore that that doesn't quit and goes down swinging and fights to the to clock its triple zeros. Uh, you know, as good as good as anybody in football. The more recent, you know, you don't even have to go that far back. For a perfect for a perfect example, how about the Monday night game these two teams play played in Cleveland uh, last December, a year ago Tuesday, December fourteenth, twenty twenty. So, Cleveland should know better. Not not the and it doesn't matter if Lamar Jackson on the field or not. This team is coached differently. This team doesn't quit, they don't die, and they are going to go down swinging to the clock, hits triple zeros. When they want to lose, TBD. But they're going to go down swinging, they're not going to go down without a fight. They're not going to quit. And you, get, and you give the Ravens and you give Harbaugh tremendous credit for that. Because how, because how the Ravens somehow the way were able to bounce back and fight in that fourth quarter, that's the reflection off of the head coach. That's the reflection. That's a, that's a, that's a flat-out reflection, positive reflection off of Harbaugh, who's done a phenomenal job this season, all things being considered. But the negative thing is, is that the Ravens are 3-4 and four on the road this season, below 500, Lamar Jackson day-to-day with an ankle sprain, and they got Green Bay coming up. That I'd worry a little bit for the Ravens. And their and their de- and their defense was was not great in the first half. It was, was not great in the first half. Also, they are also running on fumes, and uh, and you know and no uh, and no uh, Marlon Humphrey Humphreys for re- for the rest of the season. Uh, so, right, and 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 I know everybody else was you know screaming and yelling, you know, and getting all over uh, uh, Bill Cowher, who said on the on a little NFL on CBS update in between games, you know. And, and everyone you know, knocking the knocking the old coaches and the guys with the with the get off my here's the here's the bottom line with uh, here's the bottom line okay Harbaugh should not have gone for that two point convert should have not gone for that two point conversion in that spot let me tell you why why you why because number one you don't chase points that's the first thing if you need a two point conversion you get the two point conversion when you need it to put yourself you know to put yourself within three within seven. Or within fourteen, you know, when, when you're when you're right there on the on the on the on in, on on the straight path of time. Excuse me, with the mic. My goodness gracious, when you're right there in a position to potentially tie the game up, you know that's when you, that's when you go you go for two. Then you go for you go for two. Then you know to make it to make it a one point game. Put you within three. Put you within put you within a touchdown. Put you within two touchdowns. You don't go. You don't start chasing points and getting a two point conversion on the back end. I understand all the analytical people. You know Cynthia Freeland does a fantastic job saying, well, you know analytically you, you go for two in this situation because you get on the front. I don't. I, a I disagree and B all that 
all that I in 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 this set of circumstances is irrelevant. You read the ebb and flow of the game. You read the room. You pay attention to what's happening. The Ravens had all the momentum with that with that dynamic late third quarter, early all early fourth early fourth quarter when they had all the momentum, started storming back. And then if you're a Cleveland Browns, the Cleveland Browns fan, or in a, or wearing a Cleveland Browns emblem, wearing the Cleveland Browns uh, brown and orange, you were starting to sweat a little bit and it's starting to say, "Holy crap! If we lose this game, you know our season's done at seven and seven at uh, at uh, at at six and seven. So so the Ravens had all the momentum going for them. Had all the momentum, rather than you know, and the, and the, and 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 to be fair, this is not a situation a la the week before against Pittsburgh, where a Harbaugh decides to go for two to win the game because because his defense because his defense is running on fumes. They had nobody to play quarterback because the defense is gassed. You know, you know, there's there's little to no time. There's little to no time left in regulation. That was not that was not the case. You had you had about nine whole minutes left to play in the fourth quarter. The game was not over yet. You kick the extra point. You kick the extra point. Take what they give you, and go, make a stop on defense, and then go back down the field and get a two point conversion after the fact. The 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 next opportunity that you score, you don't get it on the front end. As a result, Harbaugh doesn't get it. What happens? Lo and behold, the Ravens lost by two points. So everybody sit here killing Harbaugh. Everybody sit here killing Harbaugh's in this set and on this Pittsburgh game. I understand. I won't. I wouldn't have done it myself. I'd have kicked the extra point. But I. But I don't necessarily disagree with Harbaugh's decision. Nor did I take issue with it after the Steeler game. This totally different. You had the momentum. Your team and your quarterback, Tyler Huntley, backup, had confidence. Why kill it going for the two-point conversion, knowing that if you don't get it, you give them, you give all the momentum, the, all of the momentum that you just gained, you give it right back to Cleveland. Why do that in that situation? Swallow your pride. Ignore the analytics for a moment, and, and, and go off and go off of the ebb and flow of the game. The feel of the game, more importantly, the feel and the emotions of your team, and you kick the extra point. You don't go chasing points when you don't have to. And at that certain and at, at and at that point in time, the Ravens didn't ha- didn't have to do it. They should have kicked the extra point. They didn't. They did not have. They did not have to go down there and start and start chasing points. They did. They they did not. They did not have to go. Ch- they did not have to chase points. It, it was it, it was it was twenty four fifteen. You don't go chasing points. You don't. I'm sorry. You don't. Kick the extra point. Twenty four six twenty four sixteen. And you get a two point conversion. The next opportunity you have to score to take the lead, or excuse me, to tie the game up. But you don't go for two to make it twenty to make it twenty four seventeen to make it twenty four seventeen and then you're down by and then you're down by seven and you then and and then and then all and if Cleveland scores and then if Cleveland scores one more touchdown and if well, well for a perfect example if they were counting on the fact that the getting the two point conversion and and Cleveland getting a stop 
Cleveland ended up getting a stop. But if you would have kicked the extra point, you would have you it would have been twenty it would have been twenty four sixteen. Cleveland gets a stop. You march down the field and you and if you want to go for two point conversion to take the lead, go for it. You don't want to kick two point conversion. You kick the extra point. The game is tied. So the reason why Harbaugh doesn't look like a complete fool because the fact because of the fact that the Ravens went out there and stopped them on defense. If Harbaugh go, if Harbaugh goes for two, they don't get it, and the Ravens allow Cleveland to march back down the field on their next position and not essentially go three plays six yards and only work a minute thirty six off the clock. They go down there and it's uh, and it's thir- and it's what thirty one and it's thirty one fifteen Baltimore. Harbaugh Harbaugh's getting criticized more than he actually did. Even though Harbaugh even though Harbaugh lost the game and he didn't get two point conversion. Harbaugh's criticism isn't isn't as harsh as it should be because of the fact that the Ravens' defense went out there and and did their job and kept Cleveland out of the end zone and and, and kept Cleveland off the board for the rest of the game. You don't go for two. You don't go chasing points unless you absolutely have to. And at that point in time, the Ravens could have waited an an extra touchdown. It wasn't like the Pittsburgh game where the game was on the line. You had nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's not the time to go for two at that point. At that point in situation of the game, that's not paying attention to the game properly. Come storm, you come after your offense was uh, was was dead as a doornail. Couldn't muster up any offense. Couldn't put the ball in the end zone to save their lives for three quarters. You finally reach Painter. It's 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 twenty four. It's twenty four fifteen Cleveland. You're with, you're with you're within you're within uh, you're within eleven you're within uh, what uh, twenty four you're within nine points. Kick the field goal, bring it bring it to within eight. You don't go for two to bring yourself to within six. You're playing with five when you do that. Take a break. Get to the other week fourteen slate right after this. Welcome back to the Amatucky TIS podcast. So we wrap up our week 14 recap uh, with the three uh, items uh, to get to. The Buffalo Bills um, are in trouble. I am very concerned about the Buffalo Bills. Lost to the Tempe Buccaneers 33-27 on Sunday. I'm very concerned about them. I'm concerned that, you know, Josh Allen, who has to play Superman, who has to play Mr. One-Man Band, could get himself hurt, you know, because he has to, because he's throwing the football 
They threw the football 54 times yesterday, or yesterday, on Sunday, 36 of 54, 308, two touchdown passes, one interception. He got sacked three times, took some hits, tackled, shoved around all over the field a bunch. He carried, he was the Bills' leading rusher, 12 carries, 109 yards, and ran for a touchdown. Um, So I'm I'm just, just in that aspect, I'm concerned about Buffalo. And and their offense and Josh and the health of Josh Allen going forward because I understand he's a big guy and he's a young guy and he's got a lot of uh, mileage, you know, yet to be had on him. But he also is too early in his career for him to been for him to be taking the punishment that he has been taking, uh, you know, the last especially the last few weeks or so. Uh, it's just just too young for that. I understand that he, you know. He 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 is built and he kind of plays like a uh, like a white Cam Newton sort of speak, you know the big tall six five six six guy that that weighs that you know that weighs over two twenty, that can that you know it's about the size of a freaking linebacker that can run that can run you over as easily as he can chuck a ball 60 yards downfield over your head. So so he so he's a he's a dual threat. He's you know he's a dual threat uh, quarterback. He can run the ball tremendously well. He can take a hit. Um, he's elusive. He's got a little bit of speed. On top of the fact he has an absolute cannon for an arm, so I I understand all that. But I, I'm concerned for the health of him. I I do not want Buffalo to be in a situation where he's hurt. He he he's hurt and he misses time. And all of us, and all of a sudden, you know, the Bears or the Bears, the Bills are screwed because they gotta because they gotta try to win football games and get to a Super Bowl with Mitch Trubisky, which, as we all know, is a recipe for quick, uh, for a quick playoff exit. Uh, but so I, I'm concerned. I'm I'm worried that you know one one you know one one little instantane one little um, instantaneous moment where. He he, where he where he doesn't slide when he should have, or he slides and he and he gets clipped above the shoulders, uh, by a defensive player sliding across the middle of the field. I'm concerned for the health of him. And then of course you know throwing the ball 54, 54 times is not a recipe for you know having a uh, having a strong, uh, durable arm for the foreseeable future. Also as the season. As the season wears along, so I'm I, I'm concerned for I'm a Josh Allen fan, and I don't want anything bad that for to happen to him because he feels that he has to play Superman, Mister One Man Band, because his team does not have a run because his team does not have a running game, and he of course the quarterback has got to get the ball to his receivers and Diggs, Dawson Knox, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, and his receiving crew. Um, but going, but also going back to the Buffalo standpoint, as far as lack of a running game. You know, when Josh Allen is your leading rusher, and you know, with, with the with the Ravens, you know, Lamar Jackson can be the Ravens' leading rusher. But but you know, this is of course prior to Dobbins and Edwards going out. You know, the Ravens have a good rushing attack with the two with the two headed monster with the you know, of course, healthy in previous seasons and J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. So if Lamar Jackson's the leading rusher on the, on, you know, leading rusher in the box score, that's just how that's just how the game went 
because typically it's going to be the running backs that's going to carry the load with a little Lamar Jackson running the football in between, and everything will work itself out. On top of the fact that the Ravens are one of the best rushing rushing football teams in the sport within a, you know since since uh, 2018 2019, Buffalo Bills are the exact antithesis of that. The, the 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 solution for the Buffalo Bills to run the football is to have Josh Allen do it. Not Singletary, not not Burita, Josh Allen. And that is a and that again, that's a huge problem. You can't have Josh Allen last long term, fifteen plus years in the National Football League to play at a high level and to be healthy and to be durable if he has to throw the ball thirty and forty and fifty plus times in a game. On top of the fact that he's, that he's got to be their running back too and run the ball for 109 yards and 12 carries, that's that that's not that's not a recipe for long for long term success. It just isn't. And the Buffalo Bills, they got to find a running game. Too little, too late to do it for this season. Cross uh, cross your heart and and, and hope that uh, that you can make it to a Super Bowl without having to run the football exponentially well. But I, but I get but I guarantee you, someone that they got to address in the off season. The number number one number one need in the off season for Buffalo is to either sign or draft a running back and build up some form some form of a running game. If you're Buffalo, I understand. You know why? Why am I talking about off-season football when we're still smack dab in the middle of regular season and we haven't even started the playoffs yet? But it ties in. But it ties into how Buffalo's offense has kind of gone this season. They need a running back and they need a running game in the wor- in the worst possible fashion. In the worst possible fashion, they they need a running back and, and a running game and fast. And I, I, you know, I'm concerned. For they, they did a nice job in the second half. Second half, they only held the Bucks. The second half, they only held the Bucks to uh, to nine points in the entire second half. They outscored Buffalo. Outscored Tampa in the second half, uh, twenty twenty four to nine. So Buffalo's offense did a phenomenal job. Give give Josh Allen all the credit in the world for leading his troops back, uh, cementing the comeback to tie the game up to send it into overtime. And I give the Bills defense credit for uh, holding down the fort and uh, keeping Tampa uh, held in check throughout the majority of the second half when they got taken to the cleaners in the first half with a 24 to three halftime deficit. And uh, but you know, but you know, Buffalo got too happy, got too blitz happy, and got a little too excited. And next thing you know, Brady to Brashad Perryman of all people. For Brady's 700th career touchdown pass in the game winner to give to give the Bucks the overtime victory 33-27, but you know the Bills the Bills overall their defense was not great. Uh, the first half they were abysmal. The second half they were better. They were good, and in the overtime and and in the overtime they were bad. You know, got too happy. You know, with, you know, got too happy with the all-out blitz. And if you can't get the Brady in a short amount of time, that you 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 blink, and that ball's going to be out of his hands. And next thing, he's going to find an open receiver that's got a ton of real estate to work with. And all of a sudden, you got Rashad Perriman marching down the marching down the right sideline, and and uh, the cannons are going off, and it's touchdown Tampa Bay. Uh, Buck or excuse me, Buffalo falls to seven and six in the AFC East. And their chances of winning the AFC East division title and getting that one seed look bleaker and bleaker by the games and by the weeks uh, move along. But I'm very concerned for Buffalo uh, moving forward. Very concerned for them. You look at their schedule. Buffalo has um, uh, 
Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo's got a soft outside of outside of the Patriot game on December twenty sixth, the day after Christmas. Uh, they got a very soft schedule coming up. Home against Carolina, home against Atlanta, home against the Jets, and our last road game of the season is at Foxborough. So, so you know, if if you get three, if you go three and one the rest of the way, that's what uh, ten. That's ten and seven. I ain't gonna be good enough to win the division. I ain't gonna be good enough to win the division. The the perfect scenario is is the, the perfect scenario is to is to is to run the table and go and go eleven and six. Do I see that happening? Probably not. But again, like my Bengals, Buffalo's gonna rue the day that they that that they got ambushed by. I I understand that it's week one, first game of the season, but still these games count and are they're part of the regular season for a reason. It wasn't the fourth preseason game. Going to rue the day they got ambushed by Pittsburgh at home in their own building. They're going to rue the day that Jonathan Taylor ran for over 200 yards and five to, or, or had about over 200 all-purpose yards against them or thereabouts and ran for five, or not ran, but scored five touchdowns against them uh, on November the 21st. Uh, and they're also going to rue the day where... The Josh Allen did not get it. Did not get that fourth and one on the QB sneak on that Monday night in Nashville on the 18th of October. Those three games could determine Buffalo's fate during this during this last four stretch of games to close out the regular season. You turn and Tampa is going to and Tampa is going to lose again. They're ten and three, six and zero, undefeated at home this year, this season. They got New Orleans. At, they got New Orleans at home. They're eleven point favorites. Eleven point favorites the week after on the road after Christmas against Carolina. Uh, they play the Jets at a at um at a MetLife. Uh, you know a place where where Brady just just dom- a place where Brady just dominates. And they're home against Carolina to close out the season on January the ninth. You know, so this is the this is the number one seed for Tampa to win. You know, and, and with the and with the and with the Cardinals' loss, which we'll get to uh, in a few minutes to close out the segment, with the Cardinals' loss, now currently Green Bay holds the number one spot in the NFC in the NFC playoff picture. The only problem with Green Bay is that is that Aaron Rodgers' toe it seems like it's getting worse, not better. Uh, which which is a which is a red flag to be concerned about if you're a Packer fan. On top of the fact that the Packers' last four games to close out the season are 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 much much more difficult than Tampa's last four games to close out the season. Green the, the Packers had have to go to. I understand maybe Lamar if Lamar Jackson plays won't be 100. percent That won't be, that won't be an, a, a an easy game to win because playing the Ravens. In Baltimore, especially on the national television stage, you know this is this counts as a, as a national television stage because it's the 4:25 Fox game of the week uh, with uh, Buck Aikman and Andrews. Uh, so, so that is, so that's not an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. Would not shock me, uh, you know, especially how Green Bay's special teams is. All it takes is for Green Bay to to you know get a get a get a a muff punt or two, a botch snap on a field goal, a couple of Mason Crosby kicks, and a one sour drive by Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and the Ravens could you know and the Ravens could steal this game twenty eight twenty four. 
and uh, and and bye bye one seed for Green Bay and ta- and uh, and and Tom gets an opportunity to play uh, his second ever home playoff game as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Not to mention the fact they played. The, you know, Cleveland Brown defense is going to be hungry on Christmas Day. The the week after that, when they return to Lambeau, they lost to Minnesota early early on in the season. In Minnesota, I understand that uh, Kirk Cousins historically has not played well at, at Lambeau, but they but still they, they did lose to the Vikings earlier in the season. So you can't take them lightly. The 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 honestly the one guaranteed victory that they have left on their schedule from here on out. It's the last game of the season against Detroit. So no worse, Green Bay will finish will finish worse than than uh, than uh, eleven and five, at worst. But uh, but prior to the prior to the Lion game, their next three games are no walks in the park. Back to back games against against the A, against fierce AFC North teams that that are no pushovers. Ravens especially on the road no less. Uh and then the Vikings a rematch against them a team who you who you lost to uh about a month ago. So Tampa has a much more easier route to get the number 1 seed than the Packers do although the Packers currently hold it at this point in time after the Cardinals Monday night loss to the Rams, which we'll get to in a little bit. Real quickly, because I don't want to waste too much time on them because they're just an absolute waste of time. Speaking of the Packers, again, for the 9 millionth time NFL, I've seen enough of the Bears on national television. I could care less that it's a big market in Chicago. I could care less that it's the Bears. I could care less about the historical rivalry and the historical significance of Packers versus Bears. I'm not interested. The team stinks. The head coach stinks. Wasting my time. The GM needs to be fired. The coach should be sent right out the door with a pink slip as well. I, I, I'm not interested. Get the Bears off of my TV until they're a actual watchable, entertaining team to watch again. Until that time, I don't want to see them on primetime anymore for the foreseeable future. Not Thursday night, not Sunday night, not Monday night. And they're on. And they're on. They're, how in the world do the, do the Chicago Bears, for crying out loud, get back-to-back primetime games? I mean, that is an absolute disgrace. They, get, they they play this upcoming Monday night against against Minnesota. I mean, really, the inept Matt Nagy, who 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 was dumb enough when his team was when his team was down 38-27, was down 11. Fourth and inches at their own 37. About 37 yard line with 13:34 in the fourth quarter on fourth and inches down 11. He decides to punt the ball. Are you? I mean, are you kidding me? Get the Bears the hell off of my TV, please, NFL. You listen. You make money hand over fist anyway. You make money, so it's not about the fact of losing money. Okay. I. It's easier for me. It's easier for for you to. It's easier for me to stomach. You know, uh, you putting the Packers on prime time when they play, you know, average-ish opponents or or Broncos, Kansas. It's easier for me to stomach that than it is for me to stomach the Bears. Because 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 you know when you put the Packers and when you put teams like the Packers or the Chiefs on television, you know it's not about market size. You know it's about see that and this thing the NFL that drives you crazy. They use mark they they pick and choose when they want to use the market size for, for you know for the TV ratings because everybody knows that Green Bay is one of the smallest 
uh, TV slash media markets in this country. Yet, yet they, yet they, yet they put the Packers on TV about five times every single season. Why? Because they're a championship contending football team, and because they have Aaron Rodgers. Kansas City a big media market is is Kansas City a big market? No, they're about a mid mark. They're a mid market city. They put the Chiefs on television. Why? Super Bowl contender, and they got Patrick Mahomes. So if the NFL wants to use that avenue of putting the teams that putting the teams on prime time that have that have the entertaining teams that have the superstars that that are contenders if you're going to if you're going to go with that route to give us you know uh Kansas City and Denver go that route don't don't use it when it best convenience you. Uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll ignore market size and and go and go with the and go with and go the superstar uh, Super Bowl contender route one week, and then we'll turn a blind eye to that and and strictly go off of market size the next. Because everybody and their mama know that the Chicago Bears are not Super Bowl contenders under any circumstances in the in the NFC. And I love Justin Fields, but with all due respect to him. He's not Rodgers, and he's not Mahomes. Not yet, at least. He's not there. And the Packers aren't Super Bowl contenders. So, at the end of crazy about the NFL, they pick and choose. They pick and choose. I could care less about the market size and the ratings that Chicago brings in and the fact that it's the third largest market, I believe, in the country when it comes to TV rights. Or, excuse me, when it comes to TV ratings. I'm not interested. The team stinks. And, has, and they're boring. Which is which is which is even worse. They have no business. They have no business on the only primetime game Chicago should have got. The only primetime game Chicago should have gotten this season. To be quite honest with, should to be quite honest with you, was the was the uh, was was the Thanksgiving game against Detroit. That counts as your Thursday night game and that counts as your primetime game. They should have been nowhere near Monday night football and they should have been nowhere near Sunday night football. And that is fact. You know the the fact that the Chicago Bears played the same amount of Sunday night games this season as the Baltimore Ravens did is an is is a joke. Is a joke. Anyway, I digress. The Los Angeles Rams got back on track with their Monday night football victory against the Arizona Cardinals. Took care of business against them, thirty to twenty three. Matthew, you know, again, I could care less about the Jaguar game the day before. Matthew Stafford, you got to give him his flowers. You got to give him credit where it's due. Absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal performance on Monday night. 23 of 30, 287 passing yards, three touchdown passes in the game. A stupendous job by Matthew Stafford last night. Ultimate quote-unquote bounce-back game against a top-tier NFL-worthy competition opponent. In the uh, in the formerly ten and two Arizona Cardinals riding first place, number one seed in the NFC, phenomenal job he did uh, in the game. Cooper Cup, what a fantastic talent he is! Thirteen receptions, one hundred and twenty three receiving yards, and a touchdown pass. Odell wasn't bad himself. Got to give him his credit also. Six receptions, seventy seven yards, caught a touchdown pass in the game as well. Also, phenomenal job by Odell. Uh, knowing the rule to uh, to catching the screen pass and running out of and running backwards out of bounds to keep the clock to keep to keep the clock running, 
Um, and the rule is if the if a player's forward progress is stopped and he goes out of bounds, the clock continues to wind. If he fights for more yardage, the clock stops. So fantastic job by Odell knowing the rules. Uh, shade about almost 40 seconds off the clock with that. Fantastic job by Odell. Rams played a fantastic, had a fantastic night on the offensive side of the football. Defense got a little lax, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, letting air, letting Arizona come back in that game. Kyler Murray got very, very was very, very, very sloppy in the game. Missed AJ Green, missed AJ Green, and missed AJ Green on a uh, numerous amounts of uh, throws, especially in the first half that that could have should have been touchdowns or, or big plays to set up Arizona inside the red zone. Uh, he and AJ Green and, and and his receivers, for that matter. We're not entirely on the same page for the majority of the night. DeAndre Hopkins dropped a couple of passes. Just not a good night overall for the Arizona Cardinals offense. You did see vintage AJ Green, though, for you know, yours truly being a Cincinnati Bengals fan. Seven receptions, 102 yards receiving. He was Arizona's leading receiver uh, on the night. James Conner ran for two touchdowns in the game. Uh, and just it was an off night for Arizona. Uh, Kyler Murray was inaccurate. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins wasn't uh, wasn't fantastic either. He looks like he's going to miss the reg- uh, rest of the regular season with a knee issue. Uh, T's and P's of him, and see if Arizona can uh, and see if uh, Arizona can uh, can uh, make it through the rest of the regular season and somehow take back that one seed, which I don't think is going to happen, but somehow take back the one seed uh, from Green Bay the rest of the way. This is the time right now where AJ Green. You know, you know, put his R one, put his you know R one shoulder pads back on, because he's back to being W uh, WR number one for a playoff contending franchise. This one being in the Arizona Cardinals. I don't think you know that game. The Arizona cost themselves the number. Cliff Kingsbury also get to him in a minute. Uh, cost this team the number one seed because you look at Arizona's schedule. Now again, like I went over in the like I went over earlier in the segment. Green Bay doesn't exactly have a cakewalk to the number one seed either. Having to play the Vikings one more time, the Ravens on the road, and the and the Cleveland Browns. Cardinals is it's a little bit easier, but not by much. They also get the advantage like Green Bay of playing Detroit, which will which is a game that Arizona also has to have because it could also come down to tiebreaker, I believe, with common opponent and they uh and they uh and Arizona who lost to Green Bay earlier in the season and also plays the and also plays the A and also plays the NFC North. That's the game they have to have against Detroit as well. Uh, they open up as thirteen point uh, favorites. Uh, Arizona also the, after the Detroit game plays uh, plays Indianapolis at home on the road against the Cowboys, which would be a must watch on January the second in their home against the Seattle Seahawks. So, you know, not impossible, but Arizona's chances of getting the number one seed in the NFC uh, in the NFC playoffs look rather bleak as of this moment in time. Um, but again, back to Cliff Kingsbury, I'm not, it's not all on Kyle Murray for the reason why they lost uh, the other night. Cliff Kingsbury was out the lunch per usual. You can't trust him in a big spot as if last year didn't tell us that. Uh, you know, running Calamari on one bad leg on a third and lo- on a third and long. I mean, he'll never live that down on, unless he writes his wrongs within the next a uh, couple ga- within his next uh, what four uh, four three games. Or so, 
Um, but he's the you know why this team this team's ten and three and they're three and three at home this season. That's unacceptable. They've they've I believe they've turned over the football about a dozen times in home games this season, which which is not a positive trait uh, for a team that's supposed to be one of, on paper the best teams in the NFC this season. Uh, you know why Cliff Kingsbury why Cliff Kingsbury on uh, on uh, let's see if I can try to pull it up here. Wycliffe Kingsbury on a fourth on a fourth and two. Wycliffe Kingsbury on a fourth and two when he's down when he's down. Uh, was that the play? No, that wasn't the play. Ah, uh, here it is. Wycliffe Kingsbury on a fourth and one at the Rams' thirty-seven yard line, down ten points, doesn't decide to kick a field goal and send Matt Pratt out there to kick a to kick about a fifty-six yard field goal when Prater on the night was at that point in time was two for two was uh was two for two and had hit a 53 yard field goal earlier in the game why he why he decided to get greedy and and try to go for it on fourth and short when you had Prater who had who had an excellent night again hit a 53 yarder earlier in the game and was two for two at that point in time uh in the fourth quarter and, and when you're down 10 I have absolutely no idea and why, when when uh, when the Cardinals got the stop they needed to get the ball back when they were down ten, why why once why once Arizona crossed and got into and got into Los Angeles territory, why did they continue to take shots at the end zone? Kyler Murray, knowing that Kyler Murray had an off night, was inaccurate a lot of times, was not on the same pages, uh, was not on the same page with his wide receivers. Why they decided once they got to the once they got to the to the Ram twenty eight yard line with one nineteen to go instead of why not just why not just send Prater out there you're down ten ten points is ten points doesn't matter if you get the touchdown first or the field goal first ten points is ten points and you had no timeouts left you got is a buck nineteen left on the clock. He should have as soon as as soon as you got to inside of Los Angeles's thirty yard line, he should have sent Prater out there on the field, take your easy three points. So you know you sacrifice you sacrifice putting the ball in the end zone to save time. You're down ten points. You you know you kick you get your easy points. You get your three field goals. Pray that you get the onside kick, which he ended up doing ironically enough. And you know, at that point, you have about a about a little more than a minute left on the clock. Short field, no timeouts for you to march down the field, work the sideline, and see if you can put the ball in the end zone. Instead, he gets greedy. He get you know he 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 bites more than he can chew, and he and he and he wastes downs and wastes opportunities, and does nothing but milk the clock down all the way down to thirty seven seconds left. I mean, think about that field goal, sh- and I'm saying you. If you go follow, follow me on Twitter at the J Shield, I'm tweeting. I'm live tweeting. I'm like, Cliff, kick it, Cliff, Cliff. You got no timeouts left. You're down by ten. Take the easy points. So if you so you get this field goal, you're down by seven. You get the onside kick, and you have ample time. And you have ample time left. Kick the field goal here, Cliff. Doesn't do it. 
What does he do? He wastes clock. He wastes opportunity. He wastes downs, and he wastes his t- and he wastes his and his team's time. Runs the clock all the way down to 37 seconds left to the point where they have no choice but to kick it on a fourth and 13 at uh, at Los Angeles's 31 uh, yard line to kick the field goal to bring them within seven to put themselves in a position where if they recover the onside kick, they still got to march about half the length of the field with less than 40 seconds left and no timeouts. And what happens? They get the miracle of all time recovering the onside kick. They fought. They fought around. They 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 get a false start. They get a false start um, on the second play of the drive to put them out of first and twenty back to uh, back them up to, uh, to Arizona's own thirty-eight yard line. Uh, and then and then they could then they a short pass in the middle of the field to James Conner for merely nine yards, bring within a second and sixteen to bring him within a uh, second and sixteen. No timeouts left. Clocks running. You know, somebody must have thought they lined up either in the neutral zone or a false start penalty. His offensive linemen were asleep at the wheel. Open season on Kyler Murray, and here comes a and here comes big bad Aaron Donald to sack uh, Murray at the twenty-four yard line for a loss of eighteen. Clock hits triple zeros, and the game is over. I mean, you can't, you cannot draw up a worse sequence to close out a game and, 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 and any worse in-game and clock management any worse than that. He should have kicked the field goal right then and there as soon as they got to the uh, as soon as they got to the Rams' 28-yard line, it should have kicked the field goal with with a, with 79 seconds left to go in the in the overtime period. It should have kicked the field goal right then and there, kicked the onside kick, recover it. You got about a minute 10, a minute 05 left in left in regulation. Still, and many a time for you to march down about half the length of the field with no timeouts left to put them on the end zone. Instead, he fights around. He gets greedy. Kyler Murray, who wasn't clicking on all cylinders, I guess Kingsbury didn't pay any attention to that. You know, incomplete, inco- you know, 119 left, 119 left, incomplete pass to DeAndre Hopkins. Murray gets sacked. They got to waste time getting their field goal unit on the field. Again, no timeouts, 37 seconds left by the time Prater gets the 49-yard field goal off his foot. Then they recover the onside kick, false start penalty, and, and you know they 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 spike the ball up they spiked the ball they they spiked the ball when they they didn't spike the ball when they should have spiked the ball here comes Aaron Donald game's over uh, Cardinals fall to 10 and 3 absolutely disgraceful 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 in game management and clock management by Cliff Kingsbury Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals pathetic beyond pathetic back after this Welcome back to the Amatelicatarius podcast, switching gears now to the NBA to close out the program. And that is because Golden State Warriors guard Steph Curry is now your new NBA three-point king passing Hall of Famer Ray Allen by knocking down his 2,974th uh, three-pointer of his career. This came at Tuesday. This came on Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. Uh, with uh, 7:33 left in the f- left in the uh, first quarter, 23-footer r- right wing pass off of Andrew Wiggins uh, and uh, Steph Curry. You know, as if he hasn't etched his name in NBA history enough. Uh, he indeed got his pro- the fact that it took place in Madison Square Garden, one of the more iconic 
arenas uh, and not just not just in the history history of the NBA, but in the history of the entertainment business. Uh, the fact that it happened there, Spike Lee was there, Pete Davidson was there, uh, uh, Marv Albert was there, uh, Tracy Morgan was there. I mean, it was just a huge, huge, huge event. It was the it was the it was the number one game of the Tuesday night NBA on TNT doubleheader. Uh, took place in New York at Madison Square Garden. The, the the average ticket, I believe, I saw on Sports Center on Tuesday morning that the average ticket for that game was like a it was like at six six hundred and seventy eight dollars. But Steph Curry, who you know, who's a Hall of Famer, we all know that um, uh, MVP uh, and has yet to win NBA Finals MVP, but MVP, multiple NBA NBA uh, Finals champion. Uh, just one one of the greatest shooters that that this generation and that the NBA game has ever ever seen. You know he is in the conversation. You know I I don't just, I don't agree with Stephen A. when he said you know said well he's going to overtake uh he's going to overtake LeBron as uh, as the face of his generation. No, that's not the case because LeBron is a much more well rounded he's a more well well rounded player than Steph Curry is and he has a bit of, and the and the level of physicality that LeBron James plays with is not entirely the same as Steph Curry Steph Curry you know plays more on on finesse and uh, and making a big highlight reel wow look at that type of play while LeBron James is has more of a dominant force coming from the small forward position as Steph Curry does playing at playing at a uh, playing at, at the guard uh, up top but you know Steph Curry is going Steph Curry is in the conversation with with Jordan with Kobe with LeBron as one of the most influential players that the NBA has ever seen in the last 35, 35 plus years or so. He is in the Jordan, LeBron, Kobe conversation when it comes to the level of influence and the level of influence that he has within the sport as far as revolutionizing and changing the way the three-point shot is looked at uh, in modern day, not just NBA basketball, but modern day basketball as a whole, he he has he has changed the game and changed the sport across all across all levels, college, high school, NBA, across all levels. He has changed the game in that in that form of fashion, and he is influential in that in, in that in that uh cranny of of the of mastering just being such a dominant three-point shooter that he is up there with the Jordans and the Kobe's and LeBron's as one of the game's all-time uh as one of the game's all-time most influential players in the history of the sport. He he is up he is up there with Jordan with Jordan and LeBron in that aspect because of how uh influential he is at uh at with his, in in his own particular role in the sport he 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 is up the, he is up in, he is up in that conversation with those guys when it come, when it comes to the level of influence that he that he that he over time has has uh has uh has developed within the game he he has for he's forever changed the game forever changed the game 
I mean, with that, with that, without an argument. I mean, the 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 game, the game. Once Steph Curry decides to hang it up, the game will the game will not will not be the same. It won't because of how he's changed, changed. He's changed the guard position and he's changed the sport with just how how much of an absolute assassin he is at the three point shot. Assassin, one of the one of one of if not the greatest shooters in the history of the sport. In the history of the sport. Just absolutely sensational. Give him all the credit, all the props in the world. His dad was there, his mother was there. Now his parents are uh you know, have been you know, since been divorced over the last twelve months. So it wasn't like he didn't get to have that moment of seeing his parents, you know, sit together. His his mother was sitting, you know, and was sitting uh, you know, uh, sent up in the section seats while his father was sitting courtside, Del Curry. But he had his parents in attendance. Ray Allen was in attendance. Reggie Miller was in attendance, who was uh, calling the game with Brian Anderson for TNT. Uh, with just an absolutely remarkable and sensational moment. Steph Curry, I mean, you don't need me to tell you this, but you know, just to give him a couple of minutes, just to give him his flowers, and rightfully so. Steph Curry, one of the greatest players in NBA history, and definitely one of the most influential players when it comes to the sport of basketball of all time. I mean, there, there's, there, you know, he, he has forever, forever, forever changed the game. He's changed it. He's changed it with 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 his three point shot. He's changed it. Um, but uh, the Warriors ended up at Warriors, and the it's funny after all of that, it kind of it kind of watches away or or, or kind of hides the fact that the Warriors a they won the game, and b they are just on an absolute tear in the Western in the Western Conference. Uh, in the Western Conference this season, uh, Steph Curry's Steph Curry's team is still number one in the Western Conference by a half a game over Phoenix. They have they have won seven out of their they've they're, they've won back to back games. They've won seven out of their last ten. Nine and three on the road this season. A beautiful fourteen and two at the Chase Center in San Francisco. They're twelve and three within the Western Conference, and they're five and one within the Pacific Conference. They're sitting pretty at twenty three and five uh, in the Western Conference through their first twenty eight games of the, of the season. And through the grand scheme of all that, the Warriors ended up taking business uh, against the Knicks, who have who are now four games below five hundred, who are just spiraling out of. Into the in, back to the abyss that we have been accustomed to with the Knicks over the last couple of seasons or so, uh, as they fall at twelve and sixteen on the season. Warriors twenty three and five beating uh, the Knicks one hundred five to ninety six on Tuesday night. Curry leading score twenty two points, three rebounds, three assists, and a steal on the night. Uh, as Jordan Poole, the second leading scorer, who had nineteen and thirty four points of play. But give Steph Curry his flowers. One of the game's absolute all-time greats, Steph Curry. You are a bad man. He he's another athlete that I've that, that within the last few years. So I've I've turned the corner and begun uh, and begun to like. You know, I, I I don't I don't like dynasties. I I I'm not a fan of dynasties. You know, if I like a team, depending on depending on the team, I root for them to win back to back. 
in case you haven't noticed, I'm not a huge fan of dynasties. Unless it's my own team. But I'm not a huge fan of dynasties. So when it was he, it was when it was he, Clay and KD, you know, Steph drove me nuts. When it's Clay, especially, but when it's been Steph by himself and, and Steph, you know, the, you know, flying solo in the post-KD days, I've, I've you know, Steph Curry fan uh, number 699 right here. But congratulations to Steph Curry. You are, you are, and will forever will be the three point king uh, in the NBA. And that and that record, Steph Curry. And one last thing with the, before we close out the show, Steph Steph's three point record that he that he set on Tuesday night, and it's just going to get longer and longer and longer. You know, he you know, the the further and further his career goes on. You know, keep in mind, Steph Curry is only thirty three years old. He's still got he's still got about ten more seasons still left in him of top of top tier play left in him. He's only thirty three. You forget about that as well. But turns thirty four uh, March of this upcoming year. But you know, Steph's record. I was thinking about this. You know, Steph's three point record is going to, it falls into the category of of sports's uh un, unbreakable records that are going to stand the test of time you know is it, 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 that it falls it falls into Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak record which is never going to be broken it falls into it falls into Tom Brady winning seven super bowls that record uh, most most super bowls won by a single player that's not going to be broken. Uh, it, it fall Steph's three point record, especially when it's all said and done. Uh, you know, like 10, 10 or so years from now, maybe a little less than that. That's going to fall into the category, and it's and it's not a and it's not a long list of records that you can find in sports that are going, that, that are going to stand the test of time. That's going to be unbreakable. Steph's falls into that category. Steph's Steph's three point record is in the same conversation of Cal's consecutive game streak, uh, the you know uh, uh, Dimaggio's fifty six game hitting streak, uh, um, uh, and um, and Hank Aaron's all time you know home run king record, which which I don't count bonds to have of course with the steroids, but that's not a handle that it falls into that category. Brady, one guy winning seven Super Bowls, it it falls into that category of of records in team sports that will stand the test of time. That you know, forty plus, forty, you know, twenty five, thirty, forty, fifty years from now, those records will still stand. That that's how that's how phenomenal Steph's Steph Steph's accomplishment is, in my in my opinion, in the grand scheme of things. But congratulations to the great Steph Curry. And that is your program and another episode of the I'm Tell I Can Tell You's podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and you're new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast and show on Twitter at Amatella underscore it T I is. Don't forget to check out your boy on the ASAP network. I make frequent frequent appearances on that. It's your boy Josh Shields. I will talk to you Friday. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See you.